about growth that we can easily see or maybe growth that can be quantified or can uh, be described uh, using uh, numbers or things that are tangible. I think some examples of this particular kind of growth that we often think of, especially among a local church, is maybe to look at our, our numbers from week to week or month to month or year to year and to see an increase in the number of people who are assembling together, who are joining a particular group in a location and becoming a part of that particular work. And we think that a church is growing because there is an increase in numbers. We may think that because the contributions, because there is more money that is being contributed into the common fund or the treasury of a local church, that that local church is growing. We may look at a church and say, well, they have good visitor flow and there are people who are not Christians who are coming into the assemblies and becoming a part of uh, listening to God's word being taught and, and uh, joining us in Bible classes and being able to feed upon God's word because there are visitors who are interested and coming and being a part of the work that we are doing, that that church is growing. We might even look at our physical facilities and say, because we are growing in numbers, because there are a number of visitors who are joining us, that we are having to expand our facilities, and therefore this church is growing. While all of those things certainly are good things, and I think things that all of us want, they certainly can be signs that the church is growing, but sometimes they are not the best indicator of true growth. And so as we think this morning about growth that pleases God, a God-pleasing kind of growth, I want us to consider two types of growth that we may not think of as often, or maybe they are kinds of growth that are not as easily seen as the kinds of growth that we just talked about. But I believe that they are perhaps better indicators of a healthy growing congregation. And of course, a local church is just a group of individual Christians, isn't it? It is a collective. We have all joined ourselves together in the work that we are doing as we worship God together, as we try to build each other up in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And so for us to be healthy, a healthy growing church, we have to be healthy growing individuals. So again, I would say to you, as we think about these two types of growth that we want to consider this morning, there is certainly an individual application that all of us need to make who are Christians, but then I want us to think collectively and to see some applications that we can make collectively as well. The first kind of growth that pleases God as we open his book and read his word, we find is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, I believe, of course, is the most important kind of growth. It is the most important kind of growth that pleases God. Without spiritual growth in a congregation, that there's not going to be this other kind of growth that we spoke of earlier. There will probably not be an increase in numbers. We will not be bringing people to the Lord. There will not be visitors in the community who will be interested in the work and the message of Jesus Christ. We will not have an occasion or a need to expand our facilities if we as a congregation, as individuals, are not growing spiritually. When we become Christians, of course, the Bible speaks in these terms. It tells us that when we come out of the waters of baptism, we are infants. We are babes in Christ. We are babes in a lot of different ways, I think, depending upon what our background might have been as to whether we were raised in a family where we had parents who were Christians who taught us the word of God or we, our family was a part of a local church where we had that good foundation set. 
but we were all babes in, in many ways. We, some of us, babes in knowledge, and I think all of us, from a uh, standpoint of looking back, if we have been Christians for some time, can say that we were babes in knowledge when we first became Christians, even if we had that good foundation given to us. Many of us were uh, babes in our attitudes as we interacted with other Christians and as we interacted with our family and interacted with people that we work with and go to school with, that our attitudes at the very beginning of our walk with Christ were not Christ-like as they should have been. And even in our application of God's Word, perhaps we knew the Word of God pretty well when we first became a Christian, but we didn't really know what to do with it. We didn't know how that translated into our daily life and how to apply that. And so we all start out in that same condition. We all start out as babes in Christ. But as we read the Word, we find that we cannot stay spiritual babies forever and be pleasing to God. We must be people who are growing spiritually. I want to take your minds, first of all, to a passage. Maybe some of you are already thinking about this particular text in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at the end of that chapter and reading into chapter 6, because I don't think the first few verses of chapter 6 that the writer here is changing subjects or changing thoughts. I believe he's continuing to talk to these Christians about their need to grow. Beginning at verse 11 in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer says, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on in maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The Hebrews writer, it seems here as he begins verse 11, that he wanted to say more about what he had been talking about up until this point. The Hebrews writer wanted to say more, kind of dig deeper into what he had been discussing about Jesus being a, a, the perfect high priest, our great high priest, about Jesus being a son who learned obedience from the things that he suffered. He wanted to dig more into Jesus being our source of eternal salvation, that all of us who obey him, he is our source of eternal salvation. But he says, I couldn't do that. And why could he not do that? Well, at least apparently there were some of these Jewish brethren that he is writing to here who had become dull of hearing, as he mentions here in the text that we just read at the end of verse 11. They had become dull of hearing spiritually. That is to say that their spiritual senses were not as sharp as they should have been. And I believe the reason for that, as he gives us here at the end of verse 14 is that they had not used what they had known. They had not used what they had learned about Jesus Christ. They had not practiced. They had not lived. They had not gotten to the point in their walk with Christ that their senses were trained to discern good and evil as they should have been. It was from lack of insufficient use that they had become dull of hearing. 
He was saying at least again to a part of this audience that he is addressing here in this book that you should have grown enough in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. You should, of course, they don't, didn't have the completed word of God as we have today, but they should have grown to the point in their knowledge of Jesus Christ and their experience of living out Christ in their life that they could teach that word to others. But he says you haven't matured yet to that point. Rather, it's quite the opposite that these brethren needed someone else to teach them again. They needed someone else to instruct them again, not in the weightier matters about Jesus Christ, not into the deep things about Jesus Christ, but just the elementary teaching, teachings about Christ and Christianity again. And I believe that as he comes here to the first couple of verses that we read here in chapter 6, as he is encouraging them to leave behind the elementary teaching about Christ and press on to maturity in Christ, the things that he mentions here, I remember this discussion we had uh, in Philip's Hebrews class and trying to decide what, what all of these different things mean here. Is he trying to go back to Judaism? Is he talking about these things in relation to Christianity? I don't have all the answers to that. But I believe he is saying these are things that lead people to Christ or the elementary teachings of Christ, a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of instructions about washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. I don't know about you, but those last two kind of seem to, be, to me to be weightier things about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. When you start digging into what Scripture has to say about those two things, there's a lot there. But he says you, you need to leave behind the elementary teaching about Christ. And he goes on as we continue here in this text, and he gives them a warning, I believe, of what would happen if they did not grow. The, these Christians, of course, at least some of them that he is addressing in this book, they were very much in danger of falling away from Christ, of saying, I no longer want to be a follower of Christ, perhaps because of the persecution that they suffered as a result of that choice. And so he is encouraging them and warning them, if you make that decision, here is what it's going to mean for you. As we continue here in this text in verse 4, he says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground and that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. The writer of this book was wanting them to know these Christians to whom perhaps he had written in the last few verses of chapter 5, he wanted them to know if they didn't get serious about spiritual growth, if they didn't really get serious and, and focused about growing spiritually, that they would be in danger of falling away completely from Christ. And if they fell away from Christ, they would get to the point where they would become useless and worthless as he gives these illustrations from nature here. And they would be eternally destroyed. They would one day be burned up. How important then is spiritual growth to us? Not just the fact that we as a congregation may be growing in other ways, 
But that first and foremost, we are growing spiritually. The Apostle Peter had something to say, I think, about this. It's kind of interesting that he uses some of the same uh, language that we find the Hebrews writer uh, using in the text that we just looked at from chapter 5 and 6. But notice what Peter writes in the first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. He says to us there, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I don't know how long these people that Peter is addressing here have been Christians. It's probably a wide variety, a wide number of years that they have been Christians. Some perhaps newer Christians, some have been Christians a long time. But I believe what he says here in these three verses apply to all of us, whether we are spiritual infants or whether we are spiritual adults. Peter is saying to us in this text, we must all have that same craving, that same longing for the word of God and only have that craving for the word of God, not for something else, not for some other philosophy or some other teaching that we can find in the world, but have that craving just like an infant, a baby craves for its mother's milk. So here Peter is using that imagery of being an infant, but from a good sense that there are some good things that we can take from infants. And one of those is to have that same desire, that same longing, that same craving for the word of God so that we can grow. It is that strong desire for God's word that allows us to put away those old sinful attitudes where Peter begins this text. When he says we need to put aside all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander, we have to put those things away so that we can truly long for the Word of God and grow. He said that's the whole point of it, is so that we can grow in our salvation in Christ. Obviously, we experience spiritual growth both on an individual level and a collective level through coming to God's Word. As we read God's Word, as we meditate and think upon God's Word, as we discuss God's Word amongst ourselves as Christians, whether that's in a Bible class format or whether we text each other or send emails through the week or whether we call each other on the phone or go to each other's home or meet for lunch one day and just discuss things that we've been thinking about from the Word of God, that there are so many opportunities that we have brothers and sisters in Christ, that we need to be taking advantage of. But all of that is to help us live God's Word. All of that is to help us grow in respect to our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so all of us need to ask ourselves the question, am I individually, but to think about us collectively, are we all dedicated to and are we focused on spiritual growth? Because I've seen it in my experience as a preacher that churches are not really going to grow in the ways that we spoke of at the beginning of this lesson until we're all growing spiritually. We have a number of opportunities that this congregation has throughout the week. And I realize not all of us have, uh, maybe in our schedules, have the opportunity to come to uh, all of these studies that we have or times that we can be together But as much as possible, if we're really intent on growing, we can grow just by reading the word ourselves and applying it to our lives. But I believe that it will be of benefit to us if we can uh, grow uh, together. Secondly, and related to that, is what I 
think of as relational growth. That, that is a part of growing spiritually in Christ is to grow relationally with Christ's people. In short, as we grow closer to Jesus Christ individually, we are all hopefully growing closer to one another. But just as we spoke of spiritual growth, that's not something that just happens when we come out of the waters of baptism and boom, we're a a spiritual adult. (laughs) So it is with relational growth. It is not something that just happens automatically. It's not something that just happens overnight. Our relational growth in the body of Christ takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes an intentional focus on our parts to do that. But it is something, it is a kind of growth, I believe, that definitely pleases God. I want us to go through the book of Ephesians for just a moment. In Ephesians chapter 4, and notice what the Apostle Paul writes here in the first three verses of this chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance or forbearance with one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, Definitely Paul, from verses 1 through 16, is thinking here about the growth of the body of Christ. I think he is, as he uses the term the body, I think he's thinking about the whole Uh, All Christians everywhere who make up what we sometimes call the universal church that belongs to Christ. But I believe the application can certainly be made from the principles that he gives us here. The application can be made in a local congregation. How does a local congregation grow? And it's kind of interesting to me that Paul begins this whole section on growth and unity in Christ's church with some instructions about how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. That we relate to one another with Christ's likeness, that we have the same attitude, the same mind that Jesus Christ has, as Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2, let each of you have this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says that we, in our interactions with one another, in our relationships with one another in the body of Christ, that we need to show all humility, that we don't need to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We need to show this, this kind of gentleness now, this kind of uh, meekness or humility uh, where we may be in a position of power or strength, but we're channeling that, we're focusing that strength in the right way to help our brother and sister grow, to help the entire body of Christ grow. That we are dealing with one another with patience, especially when you think about a new babe in Christ, <laughs> that they certainly need patience, but all of us, however long we have been Christians, we all need to show patience with one another. He says here that we need to show tolerance. The New American Standard uses that, ver- that word. And maybe to us as Christians in the, the culture in which we live, tolerance is kind of a, you know, we, it has a negative connotation to us that we're just supposed to tolerate anything and everyone from everybody and we're never supposed to question anyone or never supposed to stand up and say that's not right. But that's not the idea here. It is bearing with one another. It is putting up with one another. We can see that, I think, very clearly in our physical families that sometimes there there are days when maybe we don't like each other as much as we should, but we put up with each other because we are family. And that's that's the idea I believe Paul is trying to stress here, that we show that tolerance for one another because we are bound together. We are one in Christ. And of course, we do all of these things in love. But I want you to notice what Paul writes here at verse 3. He, again, doesn't say this is going to be easy. 
that this is just a one-time thing that you just have to show patience with your brother or sister in Christ once, or they have to show patience with you. You have to love them today, but tomorrow that, that doesn't really matter. No, he says it's going to take diligence. It is going to take this constant focus, relentless effort for this to occur, for us to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But all of that means in order for us to grow in this way relationally in the body of Christ, it means that we must grow in our knowledge of one another. We have to know each other. We have to know where each other is spiritually. We have to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And that can be very difficult, especially for some of us that maybe may, may be more reserved private people that we don't really want to open up our lives to everyone else. But I believe that's the way that God intended for His church to be. Just like a family. We must grow in our knowledge of one another. We must grow in how we relate to each other in this local church and how we work together as a team of saints. We need to make sure that we are walking in a way that is worthy of our calling in our attitudes and how we deal with one another. I think about something also that the Apostle Paul wrote to, it seems to me, a pretty pretty good congregation, the church in Thessalonica. And he does not chide them or rebuke them for things perhaps that they weren't doing, but he is encouraging them strongly to keep doing and to keep growing in what you are doing that is right and good. A few verses I have here on the screen from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. Uh, notice the language that Paul uses here about uh, the, the love that they had for one another and how they needed to grow in that. Verse 11 of chapter 3, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you, so that He may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. Finally, brethren... Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort of you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Down to verse 9. He comes back to this idea of their love for one another. He says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And then after he talks to them about the Lord's return and what has happened to those saints that have died in Christ, notice at the end of that entire discussion at chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. If you go back to earlier in chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, the first five verses here, Paul wrote there that he was afraid that the, the tempter, he was afraid that Satan had come in among them and was working among them. And maybe he was even afraid that Satan had come into this congregation, this good congregation, and were, were, was tempting them to shirk back in their faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe like the Hebrews writer there in Hebrews 5 and 6, maybe he was afraid or concerned that some of those brethren would just uh, renounce Christ altogether, that they would fall completely away from Christ. And it may be because of the afflictions that they were experiencing. If you go back to chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, 
he makes a comparison here between these brethren, how they received the gospel, and how those even in Judea and Jerusalem had received it in much affliction, in much suffering. And so chapter 3 opens by Paul sending Timothy to strengthen and to encourage them concerning their faith. But before Paul had written this particular letter, Timothy had returned to him with the good news of their faith and love. They had not abandoned their faith. They were still loving God and still loving one another. But now in the verses that we just read, here is Paul urging them to continue, to continue growing in their one another relationship in Christ, to continue growing in this love that they had for one another the kind of love that Jesus had for them individually, that they were showing that love to each other. He encourages them to continue growing in their walk with and pleasing God. He says, I know you're already walking according to God's word. I know you're already living in a way that pleases God, but keep doing that. Excel still more in that. Abound still more. And he encourages them to continue growing as they edify one another there in chapter 5 and verse 11 with spiritual comfort and spiritual encouragement. In essence, I believe Paul was writing to this church that was already growing in this way. A church that was already growing relationally one with another and said to them, don't stop now. Keep going. There's still more work to be done. There, There is still a deeper level of connection that you can have as Christians in the body of Christ, as you work with one another, keep going and keep growing. Well, obviously, we experience this kind of growth when we spend time with each other. And time for many of us, given whatever season we are in life, is kind of a precious commodity, isn't it? Uh, my, my mom uh, kind of semi-retired from being a pharmacist a number of years ago and She just works part-time for a a diabetic supply company. But she said in her semi-retirement that she doesn't know how she had time to work. Uh, She is just so busy doing so many things. And that seems to be the case for all of us that wherever we are in life, whether we are young and going to school or whether we have a job, whether we have a spouse and a family to take care of or not, or whether we are retired and maybe the ob- those obligations earlier in our life are no longer obligations that we have to meet now, it just seems that all of us are so busy. But if we are really serious about growing relationally, we have to be people who are spending time with each other. Certainly in the regular meeting times that this congregation has decided to have on Sunday and Wednesday, this is a great time. I don't think we should look at this as just We're here to fulfill an obligation, but this is an opportunity for us to encourage one another, to grow in love toward one another, to edify one another. In our homes, this can be a challenge uh, maybe for us because we're so busy. And I know sometimes we cannot keep every uh, invitation that we have. But, But in our homes, to use our homes to do God's work, to get to know one another to keep in contact with each other throughout the week. Uh, This seems to be something that's very good that a number in this congregation do. Uh, Stephen is is good about letting us know uh, through email things that are going on with the congregation here, with individuals, just so that we can keep in contact with one another and knowing about each other's needs and stepping in and supplying those needs as as we have opportunity. 
uh, there have been a, a number of funerals that have taken place uh, for those uh, who are members of this congregation, uh, loved ones, in just the six or seven months that we've been here. And to see uh, so many people step up and to want to serve their brother or sister in different ways. There are just so many things that we can do on a daily basis to help us grow to know one another. But that's going to take a diligent effort on each of our parts. And so you need to ask yourself the question, as I'm asking myself the question, am I really dedicated, am I really focused on relational growth? Are we as a congregation really focused on that? Because if you have spiritual growth and relational growth taking place in a congregation, I believe it will lead to people coming to Christ. It will lead to a good environment that people will want to come and learn about Jesus Christ. And they too can become a part of the precious body of Christ that each one of us here Christians are a part of. And they can enjoy all the blessings and benefits that we enjoy being in the body of Christ. When we grow spiritually, when we grow relationally in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God is very much well pleased. What about you this morning? What about all of us? Are, are you growing in Jesus Christ? Are we growing in these two ways and in other ways that we could consider this morning? And maybe the question is for you, if you're not yet a Christian, uh, you're not growing in Christ. You need to start that process. You can't grow in Christ unless you're in Christ, unless you are a part of Him, unless you have been buried with Christ in the waters of baptism and added by the Lord to His church, to His body of saved people. That's where you need to start this morning if you're not a child of God. We all need to examine our lives to take time every once in a while to look at where we are spiritually. And if we're not where we need to be, uh, to pray about that, to ask the Lord's forgiveness and to ask His help that we could continue on the right path and we could grow in Him. As we sing our song of invitation and encouragement, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Would you listen to His invitation this morning? And if you need to accept it in any way, won't you do that now as we stand and as we sing?